All right, well, let's go ahead and get into today's message. I'm excited about this one. I think it's um, an applicable one, a timely one, and so I'm ready to, to jump into this. If you've been around for the last few weeks, you know that we have been in the middle of a series called Meet in the Middle, and what we have been doing is we've been taking some biblical topics that have been taken to one extreme or the other and just trying to meet in the middle to really see what scripture and ultimately what God intended through these things. And so we've been going through some fun topics and and seeing really what that sweet spot is. And we're going to continue to do that today. Now today is going to be a little bit different from what we've been doing up to this point, just in terms of our approach. And uh, let me explain what I mean when I say that. What we have done each week up to this point is we have taken each topic that we're talking about, we've kind of taken them all the way down the road, and then at the very end, we, we see what that middle ground is. That's kind of been our consistent approach. But today, I really just want to highlight each of these ideas at the beginning, and we're really going to spend most of our time in that middle ground. Okay, And the reason we're going to do that is because I think today's topic is something that we really need to be serious about applying to our everyday lives. We need to to really walk in these things. And so I want to make sure that we are in the right frame of mind to do that. Okay, And so hopefully we can learn a lot. We can apply this to our everyday lives and move forward in the way that God intends. Okay, So our topic today, we are going to be talking about prosperity versus poverty, all right? Prosperity versus poverty. Now, if you are unfamiliar with how these things apply to the Bible or how they might apply to the church uh, context, um, I just want to explain a few things as we get into this. Each one of these words and concepts has um, a very robust theological build-out of their own. Um, So maybe you've heard of the prosperity gospel, Um, Maybe you've heard of the poverty theology. These are full theological beliefs for each one of these concepts. And so what I really want to do is just kind of highlight each of them, understand what the extreme versions of them are, and then find the sweet spot in the middle. Okay, Again, this is something that's going to be important for our everyday lives, and so I want to make sure we're given to that. Okay, so we're going to start with the idea, the concept of prosperity. So um, let's understand what the prosperity gospel is, what exactly that means, so that we can understand how to rightly walk in it. Okay, so this is kind of the extreme version of the prosperity gospel. If we take it all the way to the edge, this is what it would ultimately say. If you truly live your life for God, if you faithfully serve him, if, if you live a life of righteousness and virtue, then, then you will receive all of the earthly blessings that your heart desires, all right? If you're, just, if you're righteous, if you're virtuous, then you can just expect an abundance of blessings in your life, the house and the cars, and all you gotta do is follow God, right? So this is, this is the extreme version of what the prosperity gospel represents. Now, before we dig into this and kind of understand the meat of it, I want to just first say the reason or one of the reasons that this concept has gotten so much traction over the course of time is because at the heart of it, believe it or not, at the core of it, it is a biblical principle, okay? At the heart of it, this is a biblical principle, and let me show you why I say that. Um, Starting with with this, if we just start at a very practical level, um, we serve a God of full supply, right? Right? God is not lacking for anything. 
He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, sovereign over all, everything at his disposal, right? This is the God that we serve. And if that's the case, and he is our heavenly father, don't you think as his children, we, we might be able to expect some of those blessings to come our way? Don't you kind of feel like we should be able to receive some of the abundance of blessings that he has at his disposal? And this is absolutely true. This is absolutely true. God delights, listen, he delights in blessing his children. Watch what Psalm 35 verse 27 says. Let them shout for joy and rejoice and let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant. Let the Lord be magnified because he delights in the prosperity of his servant. So this is what it's saying. It's saying that God delights in blessing his people. He delights in that. And again, when you think about the relationship that we have with him, he is our heavenly father. We are his children. That certainly seems logical, right? That certainly stands to reason. And in fact, um, as we turn to Matthew chapter seven, we see an interesting conversation happening because Jesus has actually got a group of people gathered and he's discussing this very topic. And so what he begins to tell them is, hey, listen, if, if you guys as earthly fathers, if you guys love your children well, and, and you delight in blessing them, and you know how to give them good gifts, if that's the case, how much more true must that be of your heavenly father? If he's got everything at his disposal, how much more does he delight in blessing you with some of that? How much more does he know how to give you good gifts? And this is something that we need to understand in our lives. So I started to, to think about this and really what Jesus was saying, and, and he's right. Do you know there's something special that happens in your heart when, when you give your child a good gift? Isn't there something special that happens? Like it doesn't matter how big or, or how small, you know, sometimes if I go to the grocery store and I see something that, that my little girl would like, I'll, you know, I'll pick it up. I don't even really think twice about it, but when I get home and she sees it, just that smile that comes across her face and she starts skipping around and running, just in such a good mood because her daddy gave her a good gift. And listen, I believe this is the heart of the father. I believe that he delights in blessing his children. I believe that he receives the glory when we joyfully receive his gifts. And I think this is something that we need to build out a little bit more in our lives. I think this is something that we need to build out a little bit more in our understanding that God desires to bless us. In fact, I would encourage you to go read through the book of Psalms, just little by little, maybe one chapter a day, because what you'll find is 150 chapters, I mean, this huge, giant book in the Bible, full of guilt-free rejoicing in the things that God has made. Guilt-free rejoicing in the good things that God has made. He's made it, he's blessed us with it, and therefore we rejoice in it. That's what we're talking about here. And again, I just think this is lacking in so many of our, our lives and in so many of our perspectives. You know how often we overlook the tiny little blessings that God gives us? Do you know how often we're missing out on just how much he blesses us every day? And then some of us, we kind of feel guilty sometimes when we receive good gifts because, you know, we don't want to be selfish. We don't want to be prideful. But we have to understand he loves, he loves to bless us. He loves to give us good gifts. And when we respond with joy and gratitude, he receives the glory for it. 
And this is something that we need to understand, okay? So this is really kind of the highlight version of the prosperity gospel. This is kind of the foundation that it's built upon. We serve an all-powerful God who delights in blessing his children, who loves to give us good gifts, and we should respond with joy and gratitude. Okay, so that's kind of the the prosperity concept. So let's hit the pause button on that. Let's move over into the poverty concept. And so when we talk about the poverty theology, I think this is important for us to understand. But if we take this all the way to the extreme, all the way to the edge, this is what the poverty theology would tell us. Living a life for God requires sacrifice and selflessness. It requires it. So much so, That if you live your life above your means in any way, if you indulge in anything, if you use any of God's blessings for yourself, then that means you're more attached to this world than you are to God. Obviously, you love the things of this world more than you do your relationship with God. That's kind of the extreme version of that particular concept. Now, again, this is one of those concepts that at the heart of it has biblical attachments, Okay, because listen, you cannot deny, you cannot refute that the life of any true Christian is a life that is given to self-sacrifice and self-denial. You cannot refute that. I don't care if it's Old Testament, New Testament. I don't care who the writer is. I don't care who the audience is. This is something in scripture that you cannot overlook. Okay, and when you think about it, when you really start to, to practically walk your way through that, this really shouldn't surprise us because isn't the goal that we would be like Christ? Isn't the goal that, that we would become more and more like him, that we would be conformed to his image? And, and, and did he not have to deny himself? Did he not have to sacrifice everything? Did he not have to, to suffer? Absolutely. And so this is a concept that really, really shouldn't surprise us. But let me show you a few scriptures of what this really looks like and, and how this teaching comes about in scripture. So let's start in Luke chapter 9. In verse 23, this is Jesus speaking, okay? So he is teaching us directly, and this is what he says. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses or sacrifices his life for my sake is the one who will save it. Okay, so this is what Jesus tells us. Hey, listen, if you want to follow after me, if you want to be like me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're you're going to have to sacrifice some things. You're going to have to put some things on the line in order to make this happen. Okay, now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2 because this concept just continues to come forth starting in verse 20. It says, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. It finds favor with him. Verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. So again, he is our example. We follow in his footsteps. And so what does that encounter? That means that we're gonna have to do what's right regardless of the consequences. Sometimes that's gonna mean suffering. Sometimes that's gonna mean affliction. We're gonna have to patiently endure those things to do what is right. Okay, one more example, and I think this one is is really important. Romans chapter eight, verse 16. It says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. If indeed we suffer 
with him. So catch this, our identity as children of God, that's, that's who we are, right? That is attached to our willingness to suffer just as Christ suffered during his time on earth. So this is just a concept that continues to come to light. And again, this is what the poverty theology is built upon, okay? We see this so heavily in scripture. Obviously, we have to understand what this means for our approach and for our perspective, okay? So, so now that we kind of understand just a highlight version of, of each of those and maybe the extreme versions, I want to just quickly talk about some of the dangers that we can walk in if we misunderstand those, okay? If we take them too far to one side or the other, what exactly is the danger? And so let's start with this poverty idea, okay, and the way we see it rolled out in scripture. And I think um, what, what we can do if we lean too heavily on the side of self-sacrifice and the side of self-denial, I think what we can begin to do is actually take away from God's glory. I think we can actually do this sometimes because what he's doing is he's trying to bless us. He's trying to, to give to us and we just like deny it. We like swat it away, right? Because we don't wanna feel guilty. We don't wanna feel greedy. And so actually rather than denying ourselves, what we're doing is we're denying God. We're denying the blessings that he's trying to give us. Um, this kind of reminds me, I don't know if you have anybody in your life who is like this, but it, it reminds me of somebody who's just a really bad um, receiver of gifts. You know what I mean when I say that? Like you, you spend all of this time and, and effort to, to get this perfect gift and you wrap it up beautifully and you take it to them and you're just so excited, right? They begin to unwrap it and, and your just anticipation is just building. And then they get the item and then like barely a smile comes across their face. You know what I'm talking about? It's like so disappointing and anticlimactic and it's like, wow, I'm so glad I put in all that effort, right? And I think sometimes this is what we can do to God. I think sometimes this is, this is what happens because we're, we're so willing to deny and sacrifice that what we're doing is we're denying the good gifts that he's trying to give us and catch this, he's the one that knows what we need. And so when we deny that, we're denying ourselves of what we need. And then what's ironic is we'll begin to think to ourselves, man, why am I lacking such joy? Why, why don't I have any joy in my life? Why am I always so discouraged? Well, because you keep denying the good things that God is trying to give you. And that's not his intent. And so again, I just, I think this is desperately something we need to build out in our lives. We need to better understand what, what joy and appreciation and gratitude really looks like. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that this is one of the more underrated barriers to the pursuit of God. I think this is one of the more underrated barriers because I know people, firsthand accounts, some people that are really close to me, who, who grew up in households where there was just like no joy, just, just no fun, no enjoyment in this life, all in the name of self-sacrifice to God. And so then they grew up and they're thinking, wait, we serve an all-powerful, all-loving God, and yet he doesn't wanna bless us with any of that? He doesn't wanna like look after us and, and bless us? And then all of a sudden it becomes this hurdle that you have to climb over in your pursuit to God. And I just don't believe that's God's desire. I don't believe that he wants us to be in need all the time. I don't believe that he wants us to lack anything just to, to like prove a point. I don't believe that's his heart. And so we need to understand really what self-sacrifice and self-denial truly means for our lives, okay? So that's kind of the danger we can walk in on that side. But let's shift over to the prosperity side, right? We get all of God's blessings. We're so highly favored. If we walk too heavily on that end, I think the, the danger ground is, is pretty obvious. 
And that is that eventually, surely, we are going to lead to a place of idolatry and materialism. We will inevitably end up in that point. Oh, how easy it is to begin to worship and find joy in the things of God rather than God himself. Oh, how quickly we put our focus on the things rather than the giver of those things. And so this is something we have to be very, very serious about. And let's just be honest. Like, let's, let's, let's cut everything. Let's just be completely transparent. Every single one of us, every one of us is guilty of putting too much hope and priority in the things of this world. Every one of us. It's, it's inevitable. We, we put our money into the things of this world. We center our calendars around the things of this world. We put our hope and our happiness in the things of this world. It's just indisputable. Every single one of us does this. And so we have to understand the right perspective so that we can walk in God's good blessings the way that he intended, okay? So at this point, let's go ahead and begin to see how these things come together. We understand the highlights. We understand the potential dangers. How exactly do we walk in this in a way that is truly glorifying God in the way that he intended, okay? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend the rest of our time today walking through three points, three things that we need to be given to to ultimately walk in this middle ground that we're talking about, okay? And so for the sake of time, let's go ahead and jump right into this and let's start with the first one. So what is the first way that we can see these things come together? What's the first way that we can truly meet in the middle of these topics? And the first way is selflessness and generosity, all right? This is the first way that we're gonna meet in the middle of prosperity and poverty when it comes to God's blessings in our lives, okay? So again, we're gonna move through this quickly. So I'm just gonna try to give you some nuggets that you can take with you and continue to build upon. But let's go ahead and start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, at this point in scripture, Paul is, is writing to Timothy and he's going to kind of start building out a foundation of how we need to approach God's blessings, how we need to approach our possessions, okay? So let's start in verse number eight. He says, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So let's just stop right there. So Paul's idea of contentment is food and covering. Think about that perspective and that lifestyle. Something we need to to contemplate. Let's continue on. Verse nine, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay, so Paul is is just beginning to line out this foundation of of God's blessings and possessions and how exactly we need to approach it. And so here's his opening premise, okay? If you are seeking after riches, if you have a love of money, you are headed for ruin and destruction, okay? If that's that's what you're looking to do, you have a love of money and, and, and that's what your priority is, this is where you're headed. Now, let me make an important distinction here because this is very important for you to know. He did not say, if you are rich and have money, you're headed towards destruction. He does not say that. He says, if that's your priority, if, if, if that's where your love is, in other words, it's a matter of the heart. It matters what's going on on the inside. That's what's important. 
Watch what it says in Psalm 62, verse 10. It says, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. If riches increase in your life, do not set your heart upon them. Now, does it say, if riches increase, sell everything you have so that you're not greedy? Does not say that. It says, don't put your heart upon it. So listen, in in, in other words, it's not wrong to have things. It's wrong when things have you, right? That's, That's when the problem comes about. It's not wrong to have. It's not wrong to receive God's blessings faithfully. That's not wrong. In fact, watch what Paul goes on to say after laying out this foundation. Watch what he goes on to say in verse 17. So instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, don't be selfish, or to fix their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Fix your hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. This is the perspective that you need to have. Don't put your heart upon it, right? Don't don't put your life in it. You need to be selfless and you need to be generous. Now, does it say that you need to sell everything you have because money is evil? It did not say that. In fact, what it says is enjoy it. God richly supplies it so that you can enjoy it. Like enjoy your life, enjoy the blessings of God. But then here's what you need to do with it. Be selfless. Be generous, share with everybody, be good to those around you. This is the concept. See, listen, wealth and money are not inherently evil. They're not inherently evil. They are morally neutral, okay? The problem is they are very dangerous in the hands of sinful men and women. That's the problem. And so the antidote to that is selflessness and generosity, That's the antidote to idolatry and materialism. We have to be selfless with the things that God has given us. We need to be good to those around us. We need to be open-handed with it. That's what he's trying to say, okay? In fact, here's, I think, a really practical way that we can sometimes check ourselves with this concept. So lean into this for a second because this applies to every one of us, especially in the times where God specially blesses us, and that applies to all of us. Okay? I know we all go through different seasons and different degrees and all of that, but, but God specially blesses every single one of us. In those times, ask yourself this question. In these blessings that he's given me, in these things that he's pouring out upon me, is he looking for my standard of living to grow or my standard of giving to grow? What's, what? what is he looking for? What is he most about? Now, listen, I'm not saying those things are completely separate. I think you can righteously do both of those things, okay? But here's the the point. You know, when we get that big raise or we get that bonus or that huge blessing, how many of us immediately think about how we can bless our neighbor with that? How, how How we can impact our community, how we can impact the church. No, our minds go to how we can upgrade the house and the new toy and the new car, right? That's where our minds go. The question is, why is God blessing you? Why is he blessing you? For your living to increase or for your giving to increase. And we just need to make sure those things are balanced. It's that simple. Make sure those things are balanced and you will glorify God in it. This is something we have to understand. Be selfless, be generous with the things that God has given us. And you know, if we do that, if that's our mindset and perspective, we only have reason to to live joyfully and gratefully in it. We only have reason to just worship him for it. In fact, you know the greatest joy that we get in the things that God gives us is sharing it with the people around us, giving to the people around us. That's when our joy hits new levels and this is what God wants for our lives, okay? So the first way that we can meet these things in the middle is through our selflessness and through our generosity, okay? 
Let's keep the ball moving. Here's the second way that we see these things come together. And that is through wise stewardship. Okay, we're gonna see these things come together through wise stewardship. Now, what does the word steward mean? Because I think we probably all heard that word before. I'm not sure we all completely understand what that means. So by definition, a steward is somebody who manages or looks after somebody else's property and possessions. Okay, so think about that. It's somebody who manages, looks after somebody else's possessions. So here's the point. Everything we have, everything we have is God's. And he asks us to manage that and look after that the way that he desires. So catch this, when God blesses us, he simultaneously trusts us to handle it the way that he desires. This is what a good steward does. Now, if this is something that he entrusts us with, we need to understand it well, right? So catch this. This is very interesting. Throughout Jesus's ministry here on earth, as recorded through the four gospels, we read all of this goodness. We see something very interesting in Jesus's approach. And that is he, he teaches often by way of something called parables, right? So what he does is he tells these beautiful stories and in it, he's leading to a particular point or message. Very interesting approach. And he does this often. In fact, 38 different times in the Gospels, he uses parables as a teaching method. 16 of the 38 are about money and possessions. 16 of the 38. And do you know, almost every single one of them is about stewardship and managing those things well. So over one third of the parables that Jesus decides to talk about during his time on earth is about this one subject. So we have to understand this well, right? So if he entrusts us with his blessings, he wants to use it the way that he desires. What is that desire? What is his will here? And the good news is we've already covered one of them. He wants us to be selfless and generous with the things that he gives us. Listen to me, that is the heart of a good steward. Let me say that again. The heart of a good steward is selflessness and generosity. Watch what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So what does a good steward do? He receives the good gifts of God and he uses it to serve other people. That's what a good steward does, okay? But there is one other thing that we need to talk about as it relates to this that God entrusts us to do with God's blessings, okay? I know that this is a really simple one. This isn't gonna shock anybody, but I want you to lean into this because there are some important implications here, okay? But here's the other thing. A good steward, a wise steward, takes care of their own. A wise steward takes care of their family and takes care of their household. So catch this. God blesses us so that we can take care of the people he entrusts to us. Now, the Apostle Paul is dead serious about this concept. We know that he's a straight shooter. Watch what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, think about that for a second. If you do not steward God's blessings in a way that takes care of your family and your household, Paul is saying, you don't even know God. You don't have faith in him. You don't believe in him because you're clearly not given to the things that he desires. Now, that's a strong statement. So listen, parents, 
when you are starting a family, you need to understand that that is not just for your own pleasure and enjoyment. Now, you'll get those things. You'll get, you'll get a lifetime of those things. But what you're doing, God has entrusted you to take care of one of his precious creations. And man, you better take that seriously. You better steward the things that he gives you to take care of your family. This is what a good steward does. In fact, watch what it says in Proverbs chapter 13. And this is where we begin to see some very interesting implications here about how we are to handle the things that God gives us. Watch what he says in verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now there's an important implication here because this this goes against the idea that, that we should receive the blessings of God and immediately get rid of it, right? I don't want any guilt. I don't want to be looked at as greedy. I got to get rid of everything that God gives me. It goes completely against that because if we're going to leave an inheritance for our children, that means that we have to work really hard. We have to make a, a good living. We have to save. We have to invest. And we have to leave some for those that are coming after us. The Bible says that's what a good man does. Now think about that for a second and what that means for how you are to steward the things that God gives you. And so here's how I would encourage you in this concept, okay? And I need you to hear this under the umbrella of everything we're talking about today. So so don't take this out of context. But here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to use the gifts that God has given you to work really hard and to make a lot of money. If that's what God has for you, go for it. Go for it. Make a great career of yourself. Make a lot of, if that's what God wants for you, go for it. He doesn't have anything against that. But listen to me, in the making of that money, you better understand that that is not so you can store up a bunch of selfly treasures here on earth. That's not what a good steward does. Now, I'm not saying you can't have fun, all right? In fact, he lavishly gives it to us so that we can enjoy, have a good time. But a good steward understands the priority. And the priority is taking great care of your family, being faithful in your generosity and looking out for those around you. That's what a good steward does. And this is what we should be about, okay? So we're really lining out some practical things that we need to walk in if we're gonna take care of the blessings that God gives us in the way that he desires. We need to be selfless. We need to be generous. We need to be wise stewards of the things that he gives us, okay? But then there's one last thing And this is really the most important thing. And so we're going to shift maybe from more of a practical thing to more of a perspective mindset thing. Okay, so this this is a big deal. But the last way that we can see these things come together in the middle is by putting our joy in God alone. Put your joy in God alone. That's how these things come together. So let's start in Philippians chapter 3. And I just want to set the stage real quick so that we understand what exactly is being said here. Interestingly enough, at this point in in his letter, Paul is actually kind of talking about some of his personal accomplishments. He's kind of patting himself on the back. He's talking about how confident he is. He's talking about some of his religious achievements. And it kind of seems a little bit odd coming from Paul for a second. But then watch how he turns the table here, starting in verse 7. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Verse eight, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. That's what I'm about. That is my perspective. Here's what he's saying. It doesn't matter what I've gained. It doesn't matter what I've lost. I am here for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what I am about. You can throw all of the things of this world at me. Give me all the money that my heart could, could possibly stand, all the success that I could put my hands to, all the material things that I've dreamed about. I'll pass up every single time just to know Christ, my Lord. That must be our perspective. That's where our faithfulness lies. That's where our perseverance lies. That's where our hope lies. Listen to me. We do not put our faith in our wealth, in our health, and in our personal flourishing. We put our faith in him and him alone. That's what we must do. Listen to me. We must seek him with everything. We must put our joy in him regardless of the season. I don't care how good things are going for you. I don't care how bad things are going for you. We put our joy in him and him alone. And you know what that means? That means that it doesn't matter whether you're prosperous. It doesn't matter whether you're impoverished. My joy is in him. I'm a joyful child of God, regardless, come what may. This must be our perspective.